0: My name's Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times, it's what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, what exactly is Elon Musk up to with Twitter since buying the social media platform for $44 billion in October with the tweet, the bird is freed, the US billionaire has given an amnesty to users who had previously been banned but then had to re one of them, Kanye West, over his professed admiration for Adolf Hitler. He's overseen the departure of thousands of staff, whether through sackings or resignations. He has dissolved the Trust and Safety Council, an advisory group made up of around 100 independent organisations, which was set up in 2016 to address hate speech, child abuse and other harmful content on the platform and he has abandoned Twitter's COVID disinformation policy designed to restrict misleading claims about the pandemic we're going to hear more about this with Heidi kuda from the Byline Supplement and the Radicalized Pod. She thinks Musk is deliberately turning it into a vehicle for misinformation. We'll also hear from the Byline Times executive editor, Peter Jukes. First, though, just a reminder that the Byline Times podcast is funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times. That's our brilliant monthly newspaper, which features content you can't read anywhere else. We don't have a millionaire backer. There's no media corporation behind us. We rely instead on ordinary readers and listeners like you to support our fearless, independent journalism. You get details about how to subscribe at bylinetimes.com. That's our news-breaking website. Subscriptions cost from as little as £3 a month. They'd make a brilliant Christmas present as well, if I might suggest that. Head over to subscriptions at bylinetimes.com. Welcome then, Heidi. Welcome then, Peter. And Heidi, people can read your article at bylinesupplement.com. That's our fantastic new platform. For those who haven't read it yet, then, just explain to me why you think Musk is turning Twitter deliberately, in your view, into a platform for disinformation, misinformation, and so on.
1: This, to me, feels like an act of war. This is an act of destruction. In the article, you will hear from people such as Fiona Hill, who talks about how it appeared to her that when Musk waded into geopolitical waters by tweeting support of returning Crimea to Russia, Fiona Hill, who's a Russian analyst, says that is a transmission of a message for Putin. We also turn to an amazing academic and Ukraine expert, Michael McKay, who to him, it appears that Musk is turning Twitter into VKontakte, which is a Russian information warfare outlet disguised as a social media platform, which interestingly was actually banned, made unavailable and deplatformed by Apple a few months ago before being reinstated. It's been banned in Ukraine for many years. So... So much comes at us so fast that it takes a moment to kind of decipher what's going on. So I stepped back from it for my own edification. I needed to look and see where were the historic examples that we could find of something like this happening. It's very traumatic to have this platform that has connected so many of us and has given a way for journalists to really get their messages out on a global level to all of a sudden see it become just infiltrated by the worst white supremacists again, people who were banned for all of the vitriol and misogyny that they had caused. Suddenly it was right there in our face. And I thought, where can I go to try to find examples so i have a framework and it was very easy for me this has happened in many authoritarian countries in the article you'll read about hungary philippines russia and i even give an example of uh, peter thiel and the death by a thousand cuts of a site called gawker so we do have examples of what this is but for me this feels like an act of war. We are in an information war. And what better way to distract, distort and create despair and to misshape reality by continual disinformation attacks on Twitter?
0: I mean, there is a, a tradition in the United States, perhaps more so than in the United Kingdom, of free speech absolutism, a literal interpretation of the idea of free speech. And Musk has described himself as a free speech absolutist. So there's that professed position on one hand, but you're imputing a more sinister motive.
1: Our freedoms here in the West are continually weaponized against us by countries that have no freedom, such as Russia. And I might add, if Elon Musk is truly a free speech absolutist, then why are my podcast partners who have been doing the work of investigating disinformation still banned off of Twitter? So it's interesting to me that somebody such as Roger Stone, who, according to the January 6th committee, was in the center of helping to stir up the rhetoric for an insurrection, he can be back on Twitter. But just one example, my podcast partner, Jim Stewartson, who loudly with his 60,000 followers warned people to stay away on January 6th because they were the marks for this terrorist act in our country. He does not have a voice on Twitter. So I would challenge that Elon Musk is maybe saying one thing, but the evidence is playing out that the people who he is replatforming happen to be people who are behind the stochastic terrorism in America that have been leading to examples of terrible violence. And the reason he's being nicknamed now q is because now he's doing the equivalent of Q-Drops, which if any viewer readers have a bit of an understanding about QAnon, but it's been a psychological operation, a way to radicalize people. And quite frankly, they were the foot soldiers at our insurrection. So now we have this going on. We have the equivalent of WikiLeaks and QAnon under the guise of the type of OSINT reporting and threads that we've all done ourselves to spread essentially propaganda. And again, This is a classic distortion of reality, a classic interruption of the shared narrative of truth. And those are authoritarian tactics. And that is why, for me, this feels very much like an act of war. And I find it amusing when I read people in financial journals trying to parse the $44 billion. That has nothing to do with it. This is a very easy way to capture territory in an information war. And I look at this as a huge land grab and very detrimental to the destruction of truth that we all need to share in order to understand what's happening and the reality around us.
0: And, Peter, for those of us at Byline, if what Heidi says is true, It's quite problematic because to some extent, Twitter is where we all met. It's been a a fantastic platform for Byline to market itself without a marketing budget through our various outlets, whether Byline Times, whether the podcast, whether Byline Radio, Byline TV, Byline Supplement. We all rely to an extent on Twitter to spread the word.
2: Yeah, this is one of those tragic examples, isn't it? You think a bit like the Scots... Crofters, you live on this public land, the commons, then along comes some huge lead and fences it all off and bounces you off your home territory. I mean, I started as a journalist on Twitter live tweeting the phone hacking trial, the first time a major criminal trial was allowed to be live tweeted. And it certainly has been sort of part of the water I swim in, and Balai Times, Balai TV, and Balai.com swims in. This is a wake up call to us something which was obviously revealed when I worked with Carol Cadwallader on the Cambridge Analytica scandal, and the sort of weaponizing mainly that happened on Twitter of Facebook during Brexit and the election of Donald Trump. These are not real places. I, it is a matrix, and there's a code behind it. This is a distorted form of reality you're seeing, especially on Facebook, by the way, which I think reaches more of the public. And what I realized, this is quite interesting, because I think, as I'm going to write a piece, eventually, Musk has mucked up. Apart from the fact I used to think, well, it's quite an interesting, probably smart tech billionaire who can you know launch rockets into space. Now, I realize he's not that smart. He's not that good with money. And he's an idiot, really. I mean, he's an obvious sort of outright tech idiot. But he's so stupid, he's misunderstood which Twitter is for. This emerged in 2016. You know, we saw anonymous accounts trace back to Kremlin time which had more reach than Sky or ITV, and obviously run by the Kremlin Troll Factory or the the Petersburg Troll Factory, they were not targeting members of the public. They were targeting journalists and politicians. You see, I don't think that Facebook is where you influence the public and also YouTube, which is Alphabet and Google. What Twitter is for is automating consensus chomsky talks about manufacturing consensus with modern technology machine learning algorithms and bots and vast zombie networks of hacked computers which can appear to be millions of people you can change the appearance of what the public want what i notice is these bot accounts don't swarm around members of the public only if they come into prominence and they say they've been attacked, you know, racist attack or a nurse or something, and then the bots will target them. Generally, they attack journalists and politicians. And what they create is a false impression of the public to journalists and politicians. So during Brexit or during the Trump campaign, journalists would be on Twitter, and before a lot of these accounts were banned or these sort of stronger rules were in place, they go, oh my God, everybody is for Brexit. Everybody is for Trump. Now, we know that they were very marginal votes, both of those, in 2016. And it's pretty obvious to me that the influence operation was to make journalists think the public was more pro-Trump or pro-Brexit, therefore change their coverage, make politicians feel they had more support than they actually did. Now, Aaron Banks admitted somewhere, he says he spent $2 million a week on social media during the run-up to the EU referendum. So what Musk has done with this data dump is revealed the code. We are like Keanu Reeves at the end of The Matrix when you get all these agents attacking you and they can beat you up and kill you. But if you see they're just coded, you have power over them. And I think that's why it's on our hiding to nothing. I think Heidi's right in her analysis of what he's trying to do. I might dispute quite if he knows his own motives, but he's certainly that's when it comes to COVID denialism, when it comes to Russia... When it comes to American politics, he has definitely taken one side, but everybody can see it. So he releases all these Twitter files. And strangely, oh yes, they talk about banning or limiting the visibility of certain accounts when they make statements which could cause problems. Kel surprise. I mean, seriously, it isn't free speech. Twitter is a corporation, it's a platform. It's a platform, it's not the world, right? And what is revealing, he's doing it as Heidi makes the point. He's just doing his own version of the same. He's got all these right-wing figures telling him, oh, unban my mate who's been shut down his account for whatever infraction he's done. And his politics, his code is becoming clear. So I don't think it'll work. It's like trying to do D-Day again and saying, oh, we're going to pretend to go to the part of Calais in the north and actually we come through Normandy. Everybody can see what he's doing. The transparency is too great. Journalists aren't influenced by it. now, now questioning him they're questioning the role of Twitter. And I don't think the public, therefore, will be affected by it. I think it could be very damaging to getting information to Ukraine, damaging and getting the kind of work that Heidi and her friends does, exposing autocracy, right-wing groups. And that's for somebody like Bellingcat. They rely on open source information for a lot of their journalists. But Twitter's not the only place in town. And that's explaining just briefly, because people say, why in the Substack, you know, haven't we already subscribed to Barline Times? Of course, and all the great stuff in the highlights of Substack will be in the paper. But we needed somewhere else other than Twitter to get across to our readers. What is amazing is that on Substack, we've got huge traffic, 30,000 a day or whatever, in the first two weeks, and it's all direct mail. So they don't need social media, Facebook to get to find us, they don't need Twitter to find us, it's in their inbox. And so every time a tech billionaire comes along and you know basically it's a monopoly of news generated social media political platform it's a monopoly it's always prone to the murdoch effect when somebody gets a monopoly they behave badly go and create a new platform and that's what substack is a bit
0: for us in the meantime i know that the center for countering digital hate that we have interviewed on a number of occasions On the byline times podcast has identified that hate slurs against black americans have almost tripled since musk assumed control homophobic tweets have risen significantly as well so there may be a future through the likes of substack the likes of mastodon and so on but in the meantime if musk's ambition is to allow the spreading of hate as well as misinformation. He's being successful, isn't he?
2: Yes, well, that's about reading the code. There is a thing called the block button, the mute button. I've always said about social media in when it's 2016, in the early days. You know, we were naive, and people were shocked. They were influenced. They were scared off, and obviously, they still are being scared off. But we have to develop resilience to those things. A lot of people report them ourselves. And I've always said it's like living in a city, the first years of industrialized city, the first decades of London as the biggest city in the world, New York in the 19th century, Petersburg. They were a mess of crime, pollution, revolution, all that. We will have to find a way of dealing with this as a community, as a society, and not be reliant on billionaires.
1: Peter you're so right and and the point you made about diversifying is incredibly important because we have all this nostalgia for even though Twitter has always been this imperfect platform and people like you and I who do the work of democracy with our reporting I'm sure you have been assigned your very own troll army as have I to try to discredit the work and it can be a bit exhausting but I actually wrote a Twitter survival guide right now. And you're absolutely right. My experience hasn't changed terribly much because I block all trolls. I've always blocked Trump. I've always blocked Musk. I always block those who are spreading propaganda. However, I still see it because it always will continue to come up on the timeline as people comment. And part of that is the distraction that they create. But I do think, yes, you're right on an intellectual level. We can see what's going on. We've seen the patterns. I retweeted an old thread a couple of days ago about how differently the French media reacted to the Macron hack in 2017 and how it had zero impact on the election, unlike America in 2016, when everybody's reporting on what essentially was a Russian psychological operation in the form of a Guccifer 2 and WikiLeaks and, you know, the whole era, you know, we just bought in and it had detrimental impacts on our election. But where I'm concerned is that Musk has tens of millions of followers and he with that platform, is providing the largest on ramp for brainwashing or coercive propaganda in history. So, what about those who still think he's great? What about young men who still think that he is that genius who's going to take them to Mars? They may not have that kind of resilience that we need people to form immediately. And that is a huge, huge concern of mine. What do we do in the meantime? We have a president who realizes that this is a threat here in America. There's no other way for me to look at this than a major national security threat, if not an international security threat. So what are we going to do about it? Once again, I go back to my archives. That's how I always feel like I can find sort of a life raft for me to have a better framework for things. And I found where I threaded an article that was put out by the FBI a decade ago warning about Russia's infiltration into Silicon Valley and academia and what type of national security threats that that poses. So here we are a decade later, takes a while for a lot of these seeds to be planted. And here we are, it's very obvious to you and I, I'm not so sure it's obvious to the general public who still thinks it's impolite to talk about the insurrection and thinks it's impolite to talk about neo-Nazis and white supremacy and sarcastic violence and the mass shootings that are occurring as the result of people who have been radicalized. So I'm not sure what more it's going to take for us to really start to address how our freedoms here in America, our free speech is continually weaponized against us by bad actors who are creating real world harms. And I am very concerned about 2023, because as I look back in history, and I look back at what was happening in the 20s in Germany, I see a lot of parallels. So it takes a while for some of this rhetoric to seed. But if you look at what happened in the 20s and 30s in Germany and what's happening here, the parallels are deeply worrying.
0: Picking up on something Peter said, he reckons that there's something bumbling and incompetent about Musk and viewing him from the outside and seeing his management of Twitter, the way in which major advertisers have paused their spend on Twitter You think it's hard to disagree, but do you think that his bumbling demeanor, his apparent chaotic management of Twitter, is that part of a a bigger plan, do you think?
1: Well, I look at him as turning Twitter into the contact chan (laughs) So it's become this perilous 4chan, Russian propaganda-style outlet, just like Michael McKay said. So I think Peter's right. But I see this as more in terms of a massive psychological operation to try to nuke truth. And I want it to be addressed as such. Whether or not people will still not have learned anything in the last six years about these types of operations is sort of to be seen for me, but I want this to be looked at as the massive, I would say international security threat that it is. If you have a billionaire with tens of millions of people essentially trying to negotiate on behalf of a foreign nation state, how can that not be of the level of a national security threat?
2: Absolutely highly. And the thing is, it's happening in plain sight. It's not subterfuge as it was in 2016. Is open about it. I, I never ceases to surprise me, the entitlement of rich men who become billionaires, who think they're brilliant And still feel they're being marginalised, not heard. When Rupert Murdoch came to Twitter, he was there for about two years in 2013, and we did have a conversation. He was like, "I've never been heard. You know, I feel like I finally get express myself." You've had like for 40 years the biggest publishing of all most British papers and Fox News. So never underestimate the massive egos of small men. But in the real world, I look at what's happening in business, especially around Brexit, or what's happening in American business. I watch TV. I watch Black Lives Matter, Me Too. The rest of the world is reforming, waking up to some of the oppressions of the past. What Elon Musk does with a few right-wing friends on Twitter and a few tech pro journalists Why so always compared to the futurists in the 1920s Italy who end up supporting the fascists. There is a trend there of techno libertarians which is extremely right wing. Nafiz Ahmed has written brilliantly about his eugenics based long termism in the past. But is the world really moving that way? Well, it's not really helping Putin in Ukraine, is it? I mean, it's stalled, it's on the back foot. No amount of information operations is going to stop Ahima's hitting one of his Wagner troops in Bakhmut. So I do think it is fascinating, threatening. But it's not the real world. And the great thing about Twitter, wasn't it, was we connect with real people and you talk on a podcast with Adrian. It's a point of contact to find other people in the world. And if we're suspicious of it, we'll create other means. I think your 1930s analogies has many resonances. History doesn't repeat itself, it rhymes. Jason Stanley makes this, there are seabeds of proto-fascism and fascist movements all over Europe. I think they're on the back foot. I don't think this is 1933. I think this is 1943. I think the defeat of Putin, which is almost inevitable in Ukraine, the way democracies and democratically minded people like yourself, Ivy, are fighting back, even though you feel you're losing. It's occupation, in a way, we've had a social media occupation. I think the tide is turning. And it's an optimistic end of the year. I know it doesn't feel like that. I think it's the last hurrah for people like, Musk, who's exposed his bizarre forms of thinking. He wanted Fauci, your top medical expert on COVID, to be prosecuted and going around talking about branch convivians. I didn't coin it, but I popularized it three years ago about those COVID deniers. He's now saying that, you know, 99.9% of the scientific community watched this disease progress, pandemic across the world, were part of a huge conspiracy. The
0: guy's lost it. Okay, Peter, I hope your optimism is right. Thank you, Peter Jukes, executive editor of Byline Times. Thanks also to Heidi Kuda, who writes for the Byline Supplement and also appears on the Radicalised Pod. You can read Heidi's full article over at our new platform, bylinesupplement.com. That's bylinesupplement.com. Do subscribe to that if you can. You'll also hear episodes of this podcast appearing before they go live to the oi polloi so it's well worth checking it out at bylinesupplement.com i'm adrian goldberg this has been the byline times podcast thanks very much indeed to harvey white for his assistance with the production on this episode we'll see you again very soon but for now bye bye cheers